Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Greetings, everyone. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a wonderful blessing to be here with you today as we gather again around God's word and specifically the story of Joseph as we continue our series, Hidden Grace. And actually the title of today's message is also Hidden Grace. And this story has a way of of lifting us up and giving us perspective. Um, You know, when you're down in the valley, you can't see how things are connected. But if you climb up on the mountain and you look back down and you can see over the trees and over the valley, you go, oh, now I see how this path is connected to this one and how this area was connected to that one. And the scriptures call us to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. And I think that's what this story does. It brings us up with the Lord and it helps us to have his perspective over our trials, over our circumstances, over our pain and the deepest pain that comes into our lives. So we're going to go back to Genesis 37 today, and we're going to look at it from a little different angle today uh, as we look at the hidden patterns of grace in Joseph's story. So let's read in Genesis 37, starting in verse two. And and just to shorten the, the text here today, we're going to jump down through the passage as we go. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was a son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now I'm going down to verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their flock, their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock near Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said, here I am. And now we're going to go down to verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Verse 28. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. Then he identified it. It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Let's pray. Father, we pray with the psalmist pray to open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word. Help us to see the hidden, hidden patterns of grace in Joseph's life and therefore see the hidden patterns of grace in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we've looked at Genesis 37, we've been looking at three things. We started by looking at uh, the hidden plans or the hidden purposes of God that were working under the surface of the story of Joseph. We looked at the hidden brokenness that's at work uh, and under the surface in 
Joseph's story and especially this part of the story. When we looked at this idea of brokenness, we saw that Jacob had poisoned his family with favoritism and he he made Joseph his emotional center. He made, in a sense, Joseph his idol. And that favoritism just poisoned the whole family and it just blew the top off of this family like Mount St. Helens eruption. And then we looked at the idea of God at work, that though God seems to be totally, completely absent from this story, he's not even mentioned in this part of the story, we realize that God is in fact and must be very present and very active in this story because Joseph had to be put into a place of power through these circumstances by the hand of the Lord, which means every little trivial thing that happened in this story couldn't have been a coincidence because if any one of these things didn't happen, everybody dies in the story. And so God was working in all of that. Tim Keller said this, God's wise redeeming love is completely compatible with terrible things happening in the lives of those he loves. God manages and arranges all circumstances and tragedies, even sin and evil, for his glory and our ultimate good. There's a song that I used to listen to uh, from an artist named Michael W. Smith. By the way, his name is actually Mike Smith, right? Throw the W in there and I guess it's a lot more artistic. But there's a song he wrote just about God's sovereignty and providence, God working uh, in a benevolent way through our trials and circumstances that that always encouraged me. And there's a line in there that really uh, I think is so true and encourages me. So just a few lyrics from that song. He says, providence, ever since any thesis ever entered man, the hand of providence has been our best defense, though his ways are sometimes hard to understand. From the dying of a heartbeat to another soul reborn, from in between and circling our thoughts of love and war, Oh, the hand of providence is guiding us through choices that we make. Oh, the hand of providence is reaching out to help us on our way. So he says the hand of providence is our best defense. And I want to tell you that when I have gone through trials, deep, painful trials, and as I face the, the trials and pressures in my life right now, I can tell you that just a robust belief in God's control and and loving control and sovereignty and his hand of providence working through all of that is my best defense. It's what girds me up, it's what gives me strength to endure and persevere through whatever hand life deals me and deals us. So think how confident you would be if you believed that God was totally in control of all your pain, failure, and tragedy. Think how confident you'd be if you believed that you couldn't mess up God's plan for your life. And that nobody out there, no person, no devil, no circumstance holds your destiny in their hands. Only God does. That is deeply comforting. And think how confident we would be if we walked every day with that biblical reality. So I I guess the question is, how can I get there? How can I really believe that? Well, we need to see God's hidden plans in our brokenness like we see in Joseph's life. And then we need to see in our lives, what we see here in Joseph's life, and that is right under the surface of what is happening in this story is hidden grace, or we'll call it the hidden patterns of grace. In this story and throughout scripture, we see hidden patterns of grace. As a matter of fact, if you're watching this today and you're wondering if the Bible is true, this is one of the greatest apologetics in scripture, of scripture, is the fact that these hidden patterns of grace are everywhere, put there by a great author 
for us to see Jesus from the beginning to the end of the Bible. Because really the Bible is not, you know, sort of a Christian Aesop's fables where we are presented moral heroes. And if you imitate the moral heroes, you'll, you know, somehow achieve greatness. The Bible is the story of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. And we see Christ woven into the scriptures and the hidden patterns of grace and gospel woven into the scriptures as we look throughout scriptures like we see here in the story of Joseph. So two questions that we want to answer today as we look at this text. Number one, what is this coat of many colors? Why was it, sig- why was it significant and, and what does it mean? How do we apply it to our lives? And then number two, where's my coat? How do I get my coat on? So we'll talk about that. So what is the coat? What we'll see is that the coat is the father's love. It was Jacob's love for Joseph. In this story, it tells us that there's this richly ornamented robe that Jacob gave to Joseph, this coat of many colors. And it it was a sign of extravagant love. I want to mark you in a way that you feel special and chosen and picked. And that's what everybody wants in life. We want unconditional love. We want the father's love. But his brothers stripped that coat from him. Here's how one poet, George Herbert, applied Joseph's coat of many colors in his own life. He writes a poem called Joseph's Coat. I'm just gonna give you a piece of it. Wounded I sing, tormented I write, thrown down I fall into a bed and rest. Sorrow hath changed its note, such is his will, who changeth all things as pleaseth him best. For well he knows, if but one grief and smart among my many had its full career, surely it would carry with it even my heart. But he has spoiled the race and given to anguish one of joy's coats, enticing it with relief to linger in me and together languish. I live to shew his power who once did bring my joys to weep and now my griefs to sing. In this poem, Herbert talks about suffering and then he realizes that suffering can ruin his life. Did you hear what he said there? He said, if even one grief among my many had its full career, it would carry with it even my heart. In other words, if grief within me was full grown, even one of my griefs was full grown in my life, it could destroy my life. It could take my heart away with it. He's saying that trouble can make you bitter, sour, hard, It's suffering can even, and trouble can even bring you to the point of death, different kinds of death, emotional death, spiritual death, physical death. He's saying that almost every grief that comes into my life has the potential of doing this. But the same thing that can destroy you can make you great. He goes on to say that when suffering comes into my life, I get something else. He writes, but he, speaking of God, hath spoiled the race. In other words, he spoiled that full grown career of my grief, grief, and given to anguish one of joy's coats, enticing it with relief. He's saying, I'm suffering, and it could make me a bad person, but along with the suffering, I get this coat, this covering. And it's a reference to Joseph's coat here that we just read about in Genesis 37. The coat was a sign of assurance. It was a sign of love and delight. So Herbert is saying that in his suffering, he gets a coat of his father's love, that the father comes alongside and he puts on him this richly ornamented robe. And so he says, wounded I sing, tormented I write. So the poet here is saying that when you mix suffering with a coat of love, a coat of assurance of the, 
of the father's love, you get a wiser, deeper, more content and compassionate person. You love people better. You understand people better. Now, some of you have heard my testimony of how in 2001 through 2003, I went through a time of severe depression and spiritual burnout and anxiety, suffered with anxiety disorder. Now, if you asked me before 2001 about depression, I would have said something stupid like, well, Jesus wasn't depressed. So how can people get depressed who are in Christ? And then I went through this suffering and it's like I experienced the Father's love and tender grace in that suffering. And post-depression, I began to sign my letters and emails, Derek the Week. And I'd actually have people try to comfort me. Like, Derek, that's got an identity issue there, an identity problem. I'm like, no, no, I know, I know who I am by the grace of God, and I know what I am without the grace of God. And I was just reminding myself of my brokenness. And in that, the Father's love that met me in that brokenness, that made me a more compassionate person. And I began to share my testimony. I began to talk about my suffering. I began to talk about walking through that situation. I think it, it's a tendency of preachers sometimes to present strength. But during those days, I realized that God would and could and did accomplish more when I talked about my weaknesses than when I talked about my strengths. And so I became a more compassionate person and I've been able to encourage a lot of people who have walked through or are walking through depression and anxiety. So the the poet is saying, though suffering can ruin you, mixed with the assurance of the Father's love, suffering can also make you great. But that's not what happens a lot of time, is it? In your life, in my life, in the lives of those that we see who are suffering. People who suffer often have less, not more, assurance that God loves them. But it makes sense that if I had the coat, if I had the Father's assurance, if I had the Father's embrace, if I had the Father's love, I'd be able to walk through my trials with courage. But I don't have the coat. And so instead, I grow insecure. So I guess the question is, the biggest question in this text is, how do I get the coat? How do I wear that coat of many colors? Here's how. The pattern of salvation in Joseph's life was so strange. Remember, if there was one iron law in society at that time, it was that the younger bowed to the older. The older never bowed to the younger. Not older brothers and definitely not the parents. And yet Joseph had these dreams that kind of turned upside down the cultures and traditions of the day. And so the, in that though, and in the dreams was the, the pattern of salvation and the plan of redemption that God was working out. And so this pattern of salvation in Joseph's life uh, that he presented to his brothers through his dreams and then the circumstances he went through were so strange and unfamiliar to us reading and to his brothers, so against the world's thinking because it points to the upside down kingdom, doesn't it? God's ultimate pattern of salvation. They couldn't see what God was going to do through their brother's dreams or through their betrayal of him. They had no idea while they were betraying him that they were actually playing right into God's plans. And it's a picture of another Joseph, isn't it? A truer and better Joseph. You see, only centuries later, another came to his brothers. Another came to his own and they rejected him. Another was sold for silver and betrayed by the people closest to him. Another was stripped naked of his coat of many colors and was abandoned to die. Another cried out in the dark, why? Why have you forsaken me? And nobody heard him and nobody came to him. And that was Jesus. 
How do we get the coat? We get the coat by placing faith in our truer and better Joseph. We place our faith in him, that he is our salvation. As Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. And speaking of this, you know, the death resurrection cycle of the gospel, the pain that we go through in the Christian life. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see how personal Paul realized the love of God was for him? I don't know, I think growing up, I, I, I grasped the love of God to an extent. You know, God so loved the world, and we get that. God loves the world, so God loves in a general sense. Whole different ballgame when you begin to realize God's love for you. That somehow, we live in this... Um, family of firstborn sons. In other words, when, when you come into uh, the kingdom of God, God loves you in a way where somehow he makes every single one of us feel like his favorite son and his favorite daughter. How? We put on that coat of many colors. We all wear the coat of many colors because of what Jesus did on the cross. And we put our faith in him and we say, oh, he loved me on the cross and he gave himself for me. And that's why Romans 13, 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We put him on like a coat. It also kind of says something about how that's not automatic, is it? I think some days we wake up and we have the blues or we feel discouraged or we feel depressed and we're facing our trials and our circumstances and we feel like we're under the weight of them. Listen to what the scripture says about the coat. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. How? Through faith. We look away from ourselves, we look away from our circumstances, and we remember the Lord Jesus and what he suffered and endured for us. And we have courage, we have hope, we have grace, and we have the Father's love. But there is a difference between Joseph and Jesus, isn't there? Joseph was being turned involuntarily into the savior of one human family, but Jesus came and fell into the darkness of a pit far greater and far deeper his cry was across a chasm much wider. His suffering and abandonment was infinitely beyond Joseph's. So where Joseph came and suffered involuntarily and became a savior, Jesus came voluntarily to be the savior of us all. Remember the words of our master who in the garden of Gethsemane said, not my will, but yours be done. He's saying, I'll do it. I'll go. I'll take the blame. I'll allow my coat to be stripped off so that others can put it on. Because when Jesus was on the cross, he was stripped naked. He was stripped of his father's love. He cried out, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Joseph cried out in despair in that pit, why? Why? Jesus in the despair of this pit of the cross and the grave cried out, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because he was being punished for our sin. I think Tim Keller speaks to this part with, and makes a profound point when he says this. When suffering hits you, you will always get back in touch with the subliminal, deep, profound sense that every human being has, and that is, I really deserve some punishment for the way in which I've lived. No human being can get rid of that. I don't care how much therapy you go to, it's there, it's cosmic, it's part of the image of God. It's part of who you are as a human being. 
And when suffering comes, you will lose any sense of God's love unless you see, here's one who lost the father's coat so that you could be assured that you have it. Here's one who lost the father's love, paying our penalty so that we could know in spite of our imperfect life that God loves us. When I ask God to accept me because of what Jesus has done, I get the coat of many colors. This is so familiar, this idea of losing a sense of assurance and losing a sense of confidence when we suffer. And until we see grace that, that God's love is undeserving, we're, we're, we'll have that sense of dread when trials come and, and we'll, we'll be insecure in our suffering, in our pain. I remember my father, love my dad, um, but not a man who has known the Lord or walked with the Lord in his life. And uh, when I was younger, very consistently, you know, if we'd hit a traffic jam, he would inevitably look up at heaven and go, what did I do to you? You know, or when some uh, inconvenient circumstance or even painful circumstance would come in his life, he'd look at heaven and say, why, what have I done to you? He's assuming that what he's going through is because of his bad behavior. And I think we kind of tend to think like that. We, we instinctively bend that way when trials come into, where did I go wrong? What did I do wrong? I must have done something wrong. Instead of seeing it as an opportunity to drive us to the love of God, to drive us to the grace of God. We see it in the Bible. Job's friends accused him of sin because he was suffering. So their assumption was, you've done something wrong, bro. Where'd you mess up? It's human nature. New age and the culture we live in calls it karma, don't we? Bad karma, right? You put bad stuff out into the universe and you get bad stuff coming back to you. Well, thank God that we don't live like that in the kingdom of God. It's a whole different world. It's a different community. It's a different culture. It's a different city. It's a city within this city here in Clarksville. It's a culture within this culture here in Clarksville. It's a community within the community, a community where we come on the basis of grace, not karma. We come on the basis of God's love and God's work, not ours. We're under grace. And so we put on the coat. Jesus lost the father's coat so I could put it on and you could put it on. If you feel alone in the pit today, you are not. Christianity is the only religion that claims a God who knows exactly how you feel. As a pastor, I've, I've talked with a lot of people who are suffering and often the question of why comes up and I don't always have answers. Now God has a thousand reasons for everything that he does and sometimes he'll show us a few of those reasons. Sometimes, some things we won't know until eternity. But one thing I can tell people, even if I don't understand the why, one thing I can always tell people is I don't know why, but I do know that we have a savior who understands and has experienced the deepest human pain, just like you. So he comes alongside as one who has also asked the question why in his suffering. He suffered in every way that we do. He shed tears. He suffered loss. He understands your pain and grief. And so really, you don't need answers. He'll, he'll, he'll give us answers eventually. But there's something more important than answers. There's something more important that you need. And what you need is his presence. You need his love. You need his assurance of his father's love. You need to know that he's with you. And the cross proves that he is. He is our Joseph. He was lost so that we could be saved. Joseph was stripped of the coat of many colors so you could put it on. So put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on his love. Believe in his love. Put on the coat 
his grace is working in your life. Because in reality, when we resist the coat because of our record, because of our failures, you know what we're really saying? And I don't think you ever really say this to God, but I think we're actually saying the cross wasn't enough for me. I need to add to it. I just need to do a little better and then I can put on the coat. I need to work a little harder and then I'll put on the coat. But that's not grace, is it? If you could earn it, if it was about your performance and it's not grace, it ceases to be grace. It can only be grace if it's not for those who can, would, could, and did. But if it's only for those who can't, wouldn't, couldn't, and didn't. And aren't you glad? Because it sounds a lot like me. And if you're honest, it sounds a lot like you. How do we apply this message? Four thoughts. Number one, know and admit that you don't know what God is doing all the time. Part of what makes God God is he knows things you know and he sees you don't, things you don't see. That's what makes him God. And so to bow to him means I submit to you and I trust you where I can't see and where I don't know. And it's interesting, there's an interesting contrast in the story. Joseph's, Joseph represents people who say, I know exactly what God is doing in my life. And then they get disoriented when it goes sideways. Joseph's brothers represent those who say, God isn't doing anything in your life. Don't try to overdefine your life and how you think and what you think God is supposed to do in your life. James Christ's apostle wrote this, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, at the same time, in your suffering, don't assume that God is doing nothing. In most of our sufferings, when we say why to God, it's a statement of accusation. But we only begin to heal when we make that not an accusation, but a question. God is doing something. Lord, what are you doing? And somewhere in Joseph's journey, he began to change his why from an accusation to a question. Number two, application. Go get the coat. Go get the coat of many colors. Put it on. How? It takes prayer. It takes Bible study. It takes contemplation. You know, when we gather in groups and talk about the gospel, we're putting on the coat. When we, when we read the scriptures in faith, in our Bible reading plan, we're putting on the coat. When we gather on Sundays and we hear the gospel and we, we worship the Lord, you're putting on the coat. And so I want to encourage you to, to be faithful, to do things, to position yourself with God's means of grace that put that coat on in your life. It comes in periods and episodes and even memories of experiencing God can sustain you and minister to you. I remember a time when I was 14 years old, struggling through the painful experiences of my youth. I remember one time I was listening to a Twyla Paris song, lying on my bed in my bedroom, and I just felt the, the love of God and the presence of God so powerfully, it literally carried me the next five years. I would go back to that moment, remember, oh, I remember the love I felt in that moment. It carried me for the next five years of my life. And so pursue those experiences with God. Go get the coat. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, application number three, don't give up on anybody. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on your friends. Don't give up on your kids. Look at these guys. There's, these are the most unheroic heroes in the pages of scripture. I mean, Jacob, Joseph's brothers, Joseph, who seemed to be this prideful, arrogant young man at this time, these brothers were grown men and were killing each other, and yet God redeemed them. It's never too late. 
So what, what we see in this story, this story wasn't just about Joseph. It was about his brother's redemption and his father's redemption. And so don't give up on anybody. And finally, remember, remember that God's silence is not absence. Back to the Herbert poem. I live to show his power who once did bring my first joys to weep, but now even my griefs to sing. I hope as you consider the story of Joseph, you'll see our truer and better Joseph and we'll put on that coat of many colors because the father loves us so much that he gave the son. Let's not let the sacrifice of Christ go to waste in our lives by refusing it or rejecting it or being passive toward him and his gospel. Let's put on the Lord Jesus Christ and walk in the love of God and minister the love of God to others in our community and in our church family. God bless you. Thanks for watching today. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.